In the beginning was the Word, and that Word brought chaos to order, gave the seas and skies their border. One day the Word who made man became man. The Word from the beginning spoke, and the world started over. Since that time, all creation, every nation, has been racing and chasing, just trying to measure up, catch up to what Jesus said. Well, good morning. It's great to see everybody. Uh, happy Palm Sunday. So glad you guys are worshiping with us. My name is Josh Surratt. I serve as the lead pastor here if I haven't met you. And uh, man, we're excited to be worshiping with you. We're one week from Easter. Is anybody ready for Easter? No, we're excited. Super Bowl coming up for us in the church uh, where we celebrate the, the resurrection. Wanna welcome all of you who are joining us at one of our campuses or maybe you're online. We're glad you guys are with us as well. Special shout out this weekend. It is our James Island campus's 10th anniversary this weekend. And so give it up for James Island. I know Pastor Joey and I know Priscilla and I know you guys are partying over there. And so you're having a great time uh, celebrating just the incredible work that God has done over the last 10 years at the James Island campus. Uh, we're continuing, we're actually finishing up our series this weekend called Jesus Said. And I have the, uh, the privilege to introduce you to one of my friends. Uh, I cannot wait for you to hear from, from Scott Williams. I met Scott about 11 years ago maybe. We were at a campus pastor's roundtable. He was a pastor at Life Church out in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and they are now all over the world, but they are kind of the standard setter for, for multi-site uh, church. They've done incredible things, and Scott and I hit off a friendship right away and began to learn from him and follow him on all of the social media accounts, which you need to do, by the way. He's a very interesting follower. He's also the most stylish friend that I have, and so that's kind of a cool deal, too. But, but God has used him in so many ways. Uh, since he's left Life Church, he still attends Life Church with his family, but he's uh, speaks all over the world. Uh, he consults with churches all over the world. He is the CEO of a company called Next Level Solutions and uh, consults with businesses as well and just does an incredible work and, uh, and God has done amazing things through his life. He was here probably six or seven years ago. He wrote a book called Church Diversity. He came and preached and had a great time and, and, and now he's back. And so I love what he does for the church. I love all that stuff, but I also love that he's a sports fan uh, now, he's an Oklahoma Sooners fan, so we'll need to forgive him for that a little bit, uh, except for the one person here on the second row. Um, but, but so when, you guys may remember, Oklahoma played Clemson about three years ago in the final four of the college football championship, and uh, Scott was talking trash, uh, texting me like crazy, uh, and finally, about an, a half hour before the game or so, he said, hey, you wanna put a little skin in the game on this. You wanna put a gift card on it. And I'm thinking, well, gosh, I think that's illegal. But he's a leader and a mentor and a spiritual, I'm gonna follow his lead on this. So yeah, I will. <laughs> and uh, and I, I don't tell you that to say it was abnormal that a pastor friend of mine wanted to put a wager on a game, but what was abnormal is that he did pay up after the Clemson Tigers wiped the field with him. And so that's great. But y'all are gonna have fun, you're gonna love him. Would you help me uh, welcome Scott Williams as he comes and brings a word. Well, thank you so much for that uh, warm uh, welcome. My name is Scott Williams. I bring you greetings from the great state of Oklahoma, uh, home of the 2018 NBA champions, Oklahoma City Thunder. <laughs> that wasn't a joke. Let's try this again. But, uh, 
Hold up now. I want to welcome everybody joining us all around the world online. I want to welcome everybody at all of the Seacoast campuses. You guys are awesome and so glad that you guys are here with us today. Again, my name is Scott Williams. Tell you just a little bit about me before we get started. Again, I am from Oklahoma City. I'm married. I have one wife. She's awesome. Uh, she's beautiful. She's like the hot fudge and caramel on my Sunday. She's the hot sauce and maple syrup on my chicken and waffles. I love her to death. Um, her name is LaKendria, and she's white. <laughs> you know she ain't white with a name LaKendria. You know what I'm saying? Anytime a name begins with la, sha, ba, da, or ta, you know they black, right? Awesome. We love her to death. Uh, and actually, I have, we have two sons. Our oldest son is Scott Wesley Williams, Jr., and he's a freshman at OU. And then our youngest son is Jaden Scott Williams. He's a freshman in high school, a school Heritage Hall in Oklahoma City. And yeah, I'm like George Foreman. I got Scott Williams and all of my kids' names. And, and I know what some of you guys are thinking at all of our locations and right here at Mount Pleasant. Some of you guys are thinking, how in the world does he have a kid that's a freshman in college? What we say in Oklahoma is black don't crack. <laughs> <laughs> Just look young, you know what I'm saying? Uh, it's good. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to apologize in advance. I don't know what I'm going to say, but at the end, <laughs> I promise you it's all going to point towards Jesus, okay? So um, I travel a lot, so I'm always in airplanes. And here's the deal, man, traveling, like, it's okay. Like, the whole security thing, I get it, I understand it, but sometimes a little bit too much. And, you know, I got so many different travel stories. One time I was on a flight, uh, flight 1572 going to L.A., that's what I thought it was. I get on it, come to find out it was flight 666 going straight to hell. <laughs> uh, I mean, seriously, like, here's the deal. Like, I, I, I get on a flight, and because I fly so much, I generally get upgraded to first class, right? So I get upgraded to first class. I'm sitting in, like, row three, and I get in, and I'm sitting down, getting all settled in, bag under the seat, and then this, this lady walks in with this sweet little baby. And here's the deal. If you got a sweet little baby, I know, man, I know around here people have lots of babies, right? You know what I'm saying? And, and so, like, the sweet little baby, I love your little baby, your little grandbaby, it's all good. But this little baby was trying to break the Guinness Book of World Records of how long you could cry in one sitting. So I'm sitting there in row three. You got a little baby in row two, like, nonstop. And then I had a sweet little Asian lady that was sitting next to me. And about 15 minutes into the flight, she decided to bring out her lunch for the day. Oh, yeah which consisted of about a half a dozen hard-boiled eggs, some pickles, and an onion that she ate like an apple. And so y'all track me. So I got, I got the crying baby in front of me. I, I'm literally crying because of onion lady sitting next to me. You know what I'm saying? And then I got this, this kid. He's probably like nine or 10 years old that was sitting behind me. And he kept kicking the back of my seat. So he's kicking the back of my seat. Like, ah, ah. Crying onions, and then so finally, I just turned around, looked at him. I was like, "Are you a black belt?" He looked at me like, "What?" I said, "If you don't quit kicking the back of my seat, you're gonna meet a black belt." <laughs> I will spank somebody else's kid in the name of Jesus. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, uh, where was I going? <laughs> 
great. It's great to be here at Seacoast. I love your pastors. Uh, man, I mean, honestly, one thing you need to understand, just the history of just the Surratts and Seacoast, it's synonymous. I mean, I was in South Africa. People talking about the work that God is doing here. And so, man, Pastor Josh, Lisa, like everything that God is doing through this church, through this ministry, and for those of you guys that are here and you're a part of and you're plugged in, know that you're a part of something special. For those of you guys that are every, at every other campus, you know, like James Island, you're celebrating, you know, 10 years. Conway is launching literally next week. Man, you're a part of something special. Like, just know that, man, that same anointing and blessing everybody speaks about Seacoast, they're speaking it about you. So if you're on the sidelines, man, get in the game and get plugged in. And if you're already plugged in, man, just give yourself a hand clap for, man, all that God is doing through Seacoast and the leadership to reach this community with the good news of Jesus. And so, we're, we're, man, God has given me a word to be able to share with you guys today. I'm looking forward to it. Now, before we dive into God's word, let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Let's pray. God, speak to our hearts. Amen. <laughs> How what y'all thought was going to be some long-winded prayer? Now, just for the record, God listens to short prayers as well. Can I get an amen? amen. Pastor, that was a really loud amen. I'm just letting you know, so... Cut them short, you know, like, and like we all have like that friend or family member likes to pray really long prayers. By a show of hands, how many of you guys had that friend or family member? All of our locations, raise your hand. All right, for those of you guys that are not raising your hand, you are that friend or family member. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's Thanksgiving. Man, we just trying to cut the bird and eat. Y'all praying for Haiti and world peace? It's good. I'm going to go ahead and uh, set the stage for the time that we're going to look at in Scripture as we're finishing up this series, Jesus Said. And so what I want to do is we're going to actually just look at the Bible, look at the text, and look at what Jesus said and how it pertains to our lives. And so if you have your Bibles with the day, you can open them up to Mark 10, uh, verse 46 through 52. You can look in your smartphones. It'll also be in your, your worship guide. And here's what you had. You had Jericho, which is out on the edge of the wilderness. Just, just track them. You had these Galilean Jews as they were on their pilgrimage to the holy city of Jerusalem. What they would do is they would go along the Jordan's east side, go through Perea, they'd cut back up, and then the last part of their journey before they got to the holy city, they had to go up this very, very steep hill. Everybody say steep hill. Steep. You can do better than that. Everybody say steep hill. So they had to go up this very, very steep hill, and that's an entirely different sermon within itself. In other words, it's true of life, that sometimes in life you got to go through something in order to get to something. And so these Galilean Jews, they're on their journey, they're on their journey, they're on their way, they're almost to the holy city, they were going up this very, very steep hill. And then there was this blind beggar by the name of Bartimaeus that would sit there on the roadside begging. And what Bartimaeus wanted to do, he wanted to try to tap into the, the hearts and the generosity of these Galilean Jews as they're on their journey. So you're tracking with them. They're on this journey. They're going up a very, very steep hill. And blind Bartimaeus is sitting on the roadside begging. And that's where we pick up in the text. And what I want to do is I want to read these verses in their entirety. Then I'll come back and we'll unpack it a few verses at a time. Here's what the text says, verse 46. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. 
Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. We could close our Bibles, we could put down our smartphones, we could put down our worship guides, and that's really all that we need to hear. But I really feel like that God has a word that if you open your spiritual eyes, that you open your spiritual ears, you'll be able to hear what Jesus said as it applies to your life. And the irony is that we're going to look through the eyes of a blind man for God to be able to show us what he wants to show us about our own lives. And that's interesting. It kind of reminds me, like, how many of you guys have ever had an eye exam? By a show of hands, eye exam. Raise your hands up, okay? Everybody, I see it, all of our locations. And when you go to eye exam, I don't know how your eye doctor does, but my eye doctor, they put the little things in front of you, right? And then they, they start making turns and clicks. They start, okay, do you like A better or B? Okay, C or D? One or two? You're like, three or four? Go back, go back. Three or two? Okay, four or five? A or B? C or D? And then what the eye doctor is doing is they're making clicks, and they're making turns and they're making adjustments in order for you to be able to do what? See better. They want you to be able to see 2020. So I'm here to tell you today that if you want to be able to see all that God has for you, if you want to be able to see what's next for you from God's perspective, you're going to have to make some clicks. You're going to have to make some turns. And you're going to have to make some adjustments in your life. You can't go around doing what you've always done and expect different results. You're going to have to make some changes. And so what we're going to do, the, the title of our message today is, is Drop It. And so we're going to look at the things that we need to drop. I want you to turn around to your neighbor right now and say, you need to drop it. Okay, all of our locations right here at Mount Pleasant. I want you to turn around to your other neighbor, the one that was your second choice. I want you to turn around to your second choice and say, you need to drop it. <laughs> it's okay. Everybody can't be first. Everybody say it out loud. Say, you need to drop it. Drop. Say, you better drop it. You better drop it. Better drop. Say, drop it like it's hot. No! Can't say that in church, you know what I'm saying? Um, first thing if you're taking notes you need to drop is this. First thing you need to drop is this, is you need to drop your care. Everybody say, drop your care. Here's the Bible says. Look at verse 46 through 48. Then they came to Jericho as Jesus and his disciples together with the what? With a large crowd... We're leaving the city. A blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The large crowd, blind man, hush. Jesus, son of David. Hey, blind man, quit yelling Jesus' name. Jesus. Son of David, have mercy on me. Hey, blind man, you tripping, dog. You yell Jesus' name. Jesus, no oblo English. Quit yelling Jesus' name. You tripping. You yell Jesus' name one more time. We're about to have some problems up in here. That's the Scott Williams International Version. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the, the, new, the, the NIV, very similar. Very. <laughs> Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. 
You see, Bartimaeus understood what a good orchestra conductor understands, that if you want to be able to hear and see the sweet music, sometimes you got to turn your back to the crowd. And I'm here to tell you that some of you guys are worried so much about what the crowd thinks, and sometimes the crowd is family and friends and it's naysayers, and they're saying this and they're saying that. You can't worry about what the large crowd says. You have to look forward and focus on what Jesus says for you. I'm not listening to the large crowd. I'm turning my back to the large crowd because I want to be able to see. I want to be able to hear the sweet music of Jesus. If Bartimaeus would have listened to the large crowd, this sermon would have looked a whole lot different. As a matter of fact, I probably wouldn't be preaching it to you today. But we're talking about dropping your care. What we're talking about is dropping caring about what people think. But unfortunately, we live our lives worrying about what people think. It's almost like, fellas, we walk around with this in our back pocket. Lady, you keep it in your purse. We walk around this piece of paper that says, I care what people think. And this is how you live your life. Some of you college students, you're majoring in a major, not because that's what you want to major in, because you're worried about what your parents think or what your friends think. Some of you are in a relationship that you know is not God's best, but you don't want to leave it because you're worried about what people think. Some of you drove up here today in a car that you can't afford trying to please people that don't even care because you're worried about what People think. Some of you are in friends group, not because that's the friends group that honors God, and that's the friends group that you need to be around because you're worried about what people think. And this is how we live our lives. And some of you are sitting there looking, and I know some of you at the other locations, you're like, whatever, Pastor Scott, I don't care what people think. Yes, you do. I mean, that's how we live our lives. You live your life worrying about what people think. I mean, think about it. How does it play out in social media? Social media, ready, you get ready, you're ready to take that selfie. Ready to take that selfie, and you get ready to take the selfie, and you get it, and you say, you know what? I need to extend my arm a little bit. It makes me look skinnier. You know what I'm saying? It makes it look skinnier. Then I got to get the right angles. You get the right angles, then you, you take the selfie, then you look at it, and you're like, Man, I need to adjust that. Like, I need to, to lighten this up a little bit. I'm not that dark. And some of you guys are like, I need to darken it up a little bit. I'm not that white. You know what I'm saying? And so then you go and you, you adjust it and you put this filter on it. You put that filter on it. You ask somebody, what do you think about this? Then you put another filter on it. You put a filter on top of that filter. And then you go and post it on social media. Hashtag just woke up like this. Hashtag no filter. <laughs> you didn't just wake up like that. As a matter of fact, and we know that little corner was the only part of your room that was clean. Get all the stuff out the way. But we do that is because we're living our lives worried about what people think. And that's all of us. And I've been guilty of it. And as a matter of fact, I'll just be real open and honest with you guys. I haven't always been a pastor. I haven't always had the opportunity to go around the world and, and preach the gospel. As a matter of fact, I'm just being real candid. You know, I spent a large number of my adult years in the prison system. Twelve years, 22 days. In eight hours to be exact. Eight by ten cell, razor wire, pinned up anger, bad food, prison. I was a warden in the prison system. You guys can breathe. Man, if you see the looks on some of your faces, I got folks logging off online, people leaving a 10-year anniversary. Like, what is going on? Anyway, why well, brother always got to be in the prison system? You know what I'm saying? Uh, true story. At the age of 25, I was one of the youngest prison wardens in the country. 
And I didn't know at that time that God was going to use my time as a prison warden to prepare me for ministry. And it wasn't until I went into full-time ministry, I learned there's a lot of similarities between leading a prison and leading a church. Can I get an amen? <laughs> amen. You know what I'm saying? And so I remember I was as a prison warden, and you know, all my peers were like, 55 years old. They were, prison warden is something. If you, some of you guys may know somebody that works in corrections, you got you to earn your way up there. And I had this old Marine that took a risk on a 25-year-old kid, and he said I was the right person for the job, and, and I wasn't looking for it. I was there as a counselor. And, then one, it was just, and so he, he trusted me with that. And I remember, like, everybody was hating. Oh, it's going to be riots. It's crazy. Why would you put a 25-year-old kid as a prison warden? That's ridiculous. And, and I, I started to kind of believe what all the negativity. I started to listen to the large crowd. And I'll never forget it. My business administrator, her name is Dana Avance. She, she came to me. She said, Scott, no, you don't have 25 years of experience. You've only lived for 25 years. She says, but here's what you do have. You have a master's in criminal justice management administration. And she said, I've worked in the workforce for over 30 years. And what you need to know is that you bring the most godly leadership of anybody that I've ever worked with. She said, you can't worry about what people think. You need to worry about what God thinks. And so that's my word for you today. Some of you guys have been living your life worried about what people think, but today's the day that you step out of that. You say, you know what? I'm not worried about what people think. I'm worried about what God thinks. Because here's the thing. You can't worry about what people say about you. You just need to worry about what God says about you. And what does God say about you? He says that you're an heir to Christ. He says that you are more than a conqueror. Not that you can do some things, but you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. That's what God says about you. He says that you're amazing. He says you're beautifully and wonderfully made. I don't care what they say about you. Think about what I say about you. And that's what you have to understand. Stop living your life like you're on the, the competition, the voice, and you're waiting for God to, to push the button in favor of you. He's already pushed the button. And he says, I got you. You're taken care of. And so when you begin to live your life and understand is that, that your situation doesn't define you. Your circumstances doesn't define you. The side of town that you grew up on doesn't define you. And definitely not what people says about you define you. Your condition doesn't define your position. So I don't care what it is that you're dealing with. Don't worry about what people think. I mean, because everybody's going to tell you, oh, man, you got some issues. I mean, some of you guys have told you, your family was like, oh, girl, you got issues, you got problems, or, or sir, man, he always going to be like that. That's what I tell them, blind man, you got issues. You out here begging, blind man, you got issues. But what did Bartimaeus say? He said, you know what, I may have issues, but I'm about to connect to the one that has the ability to cancel my subscription. <laughs> oh, that was some good preaching right there. Y'all can clap for that. Let me, hold on, let me... <laughs> Here's the deal. He said, here's the deal. I may have issues, but I'm about to connect to the one that has the ability to cancel my subscription. Some of you young folks don't know anything about a magazine subscription, but you know about Netflix. Cancel that subscription. You know what I'm saying? But, and so, but that's the thing. So the second thing, if you're taking notes, you can write this one down. First thing is drop your care. Second thing, if you're taking notes, is drop your coat. Everybody say, drop your coat. Everybody say, drop your coat. Verse 49 through 50, here's what the text says. Jesus stopped and said, Jesus said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up on your feet. He's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. And here's what we need to understand about his cloak. His cloak was his coat or his outer garment. So as he's sitting out there on the roadside begging, you know, say you may go to downtown Charleston, you'll see panhandlers out there with a sign and they're out there on the roadside begging. You couldn't just show up and beg. 
As a matter of fact, what you had to do is you had to go to the elders of the time and, and show them that you had a condition that allowed you to be able to beg. So they gave you a special cloak or a special coat or a special outer garment that says, you know what, this guy Bartimaeus is able to come out here and beg. And so he would take the, the cloak and coat, he would, he would catch the coins, and, and as he was sitting there begging. So when we're saying that, that he dropped his cloak and he took his coat off, like that was how he made money. That was how he connected with people. That was how he got advice. And so what that means is he was willing to get outside of his comfort zone. So we're talking about dropping your coat. We're talking about dropping your comfort zone, getting outside of your comfort zone. And that's what you must be willing to do. Because every single one of us has a comfort zone. They're all different. Everybody has one. You know, I'm thinking of comfort zones. I told you that I fly a lot and and the comfort zone is, is first class, right? So you're sitting in a little more comfortable seat. And I remember one time I'm on a flight and I'm sitting there, um, I'm periscoping, which is like this live streaming app that Twitter has. I'm periscoping. The guy sits down next to me. And you know how it is when you get on a plane. Like you either ask him, where are you from? Where are you from? What do you do for a living? And we began to talk and I told him what I did. Like, what do you do? He's like, well, I'm one of the global brand directors for Nike. How many of you guys at all of our locations know what goes through your mind when you're sitting next to the global brand director for Nike? Hook a brother up with some shoes, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Size 11 and a half, right? I thought it, but I, I didn't say it, right? So I thought it, but I didn't say it. So I'm sitting there, and we begin to talk, and he told me a little bit of his story. And his story was simply this. He said that he remembers he's from San Diego, and he was at dinner with a large group of friends, a large crowd. And he said there was 17 of them. He said he's sitting there at dinner, about halfway through dinner, he looks down, and there's 17 people. There's eight couples, and it's him. And he realized at that moment he got comfortable and complacent in his comfort zone. And he started to, to step out and to apply for different jobs. And one thing led to the next. And he ended up getting this amazing job at Nike. And the moral of the story is the fact that he got this amazing job at Nike. The moral of the story is that the only reason he got it is because he wanted to get outside of his comfort zone. We all have comfort zones. Some of your comfort zone is something as thin as paper money. Some of you, it's credit cards. You just keep swiping and swiping and swiping, and you're in debt up to your eyeballs trying to please people that don't even care. Some of your comfort zone is relationships. You don't care if it's a good one or a bad one. You just need to be in one. Some of your comfort zone is workaholism. You got to work, work, work. Some of your comfort zone is alcoholism or, or pornography. Some of your comfort zone is racism, and, and you, you, you look at people differently because they look different than you. You treat people differently because they, they look different than you, and, and you think differently because people are not from the same place that you're from. We all have comfort zones. If you want to see greatness, you got to be willing to get out of that comfort zone. Matter of fact, can I pray something over every single one of you here, every single one of you online, every single one of you at every single campus? Can I pray something over you guys? Yes. Can I pray something over you guys? Yes. I pray that God makes your comfort zones really uncomfortable. I pray that you wake up in cold sweats this week about your comfort zone. I pray if your comfort zone is alcoholism, every single time you pick up the bottle, it drops and busts right in front of you. I pray if your comfort zone is drugs, that your dope man gets arrested and goes to prison. I pray if your comfort zone is being in a relationship that's not God's best, that y'all break up this week and y'all don't ever see, anyone, see one another again. I pray if your comfort zone is people pleasing, that you don't get a compliment or an attaboy or an accolade for somebody for the next six months. Here's the deal. I don't pray these things over you to be mean or to be harsh. I pray these things over you because here's what I know. You're never going to hear a story of greatness, of blessing, of healing, and breakthrough that came from a comfort zone. You've got to be willing to get outside of your comfort zone. 
And the last thing, if you're taking notes, is this. You need to drop is this. You need to drop your cup. Everybody say, drop your cup. Drop your cup. Everybody say, drop your cup. And this is the point in the sermon where uh, someone will come play on the keys behind me to make me sound a lot more spiritual. (laughs) Brought out the whole band. (laughs) I thought I was preaching all right. So you need some help. <laughs> this is when preachers say, as I close. Last thing that you need to drop if you're taking notes is this. You need to drop your cup. Verse 51 and 52. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you immediately. He received his sight. If you look at the the miracles in the Bible with Jesus, that's how it always happens. The woman with the issue of blood, your faith has healed you immediately. The Canaanite woman's daughter, your faith has healed you immediately. Jairus' daughter, your faith has healed you immediately. So it's always the faith and then the healing. It's always the faith and then the blessing. It's always the faith and then the breakthrough. What you need to understand is God is not moved by the size of your situation. God is moved by the size of your faith. The question is, is your faith going to increase today. The Bible talks about three types of faith. Little faith, God can do this. Great faith, God will do this. And a perfect faith, it's as good as done. You need to step in this perfect faith type of anointing. In other words, God, I trust that you're going to show up and my situation is going to blow up because when you begin to believe it, that's when God begins to move and do things in your life. Some of you are sitting there today, you're wondering why God is, is not blessing you when you don't really believe that he's going to. It's about increasing your faith. You know, I told you earlier that I was a a prison warden, and one of the first facilities I ran was a maximum secure juvenile facility. It was young people that were the worst of the worst offenders. I mean, you think rape, murder, they committed heinous crimes. Matter of fact, if they were, and if they didn't complete our program, they'd be bridged to the adult system. I remember we got this one resident, they called us to see if we would take him. His name was Lando. I'm beginning to think of the, the worst of the worst kid that maybe you know or that you've seen on TV. This was Lando. He had already assaulted about 10 or 11 residents in the, the detention center, and he had a, you know, fractured three staff members' jaws. He was a bad boy. And again, I'm a 25-year-old prison warden. I don't know whatever. Just go ahead and send him. And I'll never forget it when Lando came to the reception area. I go, and I meet him in the reception area, and I just go to him and says, you know, here's the rules. What you did in your past is the past. This is what I expect moving forward. I'll never forget. He looked up and he says, warden, you can save it. He says, I've been in and out of these facilities since I was eight years old. This is just another rodeo for me. I'm going to do what I want to do. And we just agreed to disagree. I remember about three weeks in Orlando being in a facility, we get a code 10 violation down at one of the schools, the classroom in the school area. And I get down there, and as I get down there, I see Lando squared up getting ready to assault the science teacher and all the kids were around and I learned something at that moment that, that carries on to the rest of life is that if you want to begin to see some de-escalation, you got to remove yourself from the situation. Some of you guys are in a situation right now, if you want to see some change, you want to see some de-escalation, you got to remove yourself from that relationship or from that situation that you're in. And me and one of the counselors, we, we got Lando out of the, the classroom and we, we went to one of the counselors and began to have a conversation. 
And for the first time in the three weeks he had been with us, we begin to see some of these rough and tough layers of this onion begin to be peeled back. And what we found out about Lando is although he was 13 years old, he couldn't read. As a matter of fact, he read at less than a, the first grade reading level. And I want you to think about how the story went. He was street smart. He would go to school. Some of the other students might find out that he can't read. What does he do? He gets into a fight. He goes to detention. He goes to a group home. He goes to a boys home. He goes to a foster home. And he goes into a facility. And it was this never-ending story where everybody said, what Lando needed is, is more psychotropic drugs. What he needs, you need to lock him up and throw away the key. And that's not what he needed. What he needed was to know how to read. Now, I'm here to tell you today, after being with us for about two and a half years, he began to read over a ninth grade reading level one of the greatest turnarounds that we had seen in the facility where everyone had given up on him. You do this, you know, whatever, blind man. Just like Bartimaeus, everybody was telling Bartimaeus, you need this, you need that. But Bartimaeus didn't need this, he didn't need that. He needed to jump on his feet and to call on the name of Jesus. And I'm here to tell you that I don't care what you're facing. The world may tell you need this. The world may tell you need that. But everything you need can be found right here in the page of this book. You just got to do your part. You got to get up on your feet and you got to be willing to drop some stuff. And when you drop some stuff, God's going to give you some stuff. So you walked in your day and said, you know what? I walked in here worried about what people think. Today's the day that's going to change. Today's the day that I can care less what people think. Today's the day I say, you know what? I'm dropping my care and I'm leaving it there. I don't care what people think. And you know what? This comfort zone, it ain't very comfortable anyway. I'm sick and tired of sitting in this comfort zone. I want to get out of my comfort zone because I want to see all that God has for me. So you're going to drop your care. You're going to drop your coat. And the last thing you're holding on to is this cup. And it's the things that you won't let go of. Some of you guys are holding on to unforgiveness and you need to let go. Some of you guys are holding on to bitterness. Some of you guys are holding on to anger. You're holding on to hurt. You're holding on to money. You're being stingy and you can't give. You know the things that you're holding on to. You're holding on to clicking on to those inappropriate images that you think only you know about, but you know that God knows about. You're holding on to the God that we've been trying to get pregnant month after month, year after year, and why are you not giving me a baby? But you need to let that stuff go because God is saying, sir, He's saying, ma'am, I have something amazing for you. But you know what? I can't put it in your hands because your hands are full of all of this stuff. But today's the day, you know what? You're going to drop your care. You're going to drop your coat. And you're going to drop your cup. And when you do, God says, I got something amazing for you. I got blessing and breakthrough you for I got healing for you. You know what? That financial provision that you were looking for, I got it for you. I don't know what you walked in these doors needing. I don't know what you walked in these doors needing. But God says, you know what? I'm about to put it in your hands right now, but you got to open your hands. God's going to show up and your situation's going to blow up because that's the God we serve. We serve an amazing God. We serve an amazing God. All of our locations, I don't know what y'all are doing there, but they're standing here. They're standing here online. Just stand up in front of your computer. Let's send an attitude of prayer, heads bowed and eyes closed. Father, I thank you so much for so many people that are going to walk out these doors today with burdens lifted, God, as they're making a decision to drop some things. God, and one of the things that breaks my heart is that in a room this size with all these campuses is that there's so many people under the sound of my voice that if life were to end today, they'd miss heaven by 12 inches because they have a head knowledge, but they don't have a heart acceptance. But here in a few moments, that's going to change because you have the opportunity to make the most important decision of your life as you'd surrender your life to Jesus. 
So you may walk through these doors, maybe this is your first time here, or maybe you've been coming to church for a while, and you're like, man, what does this relationship with Jesus look like? You're about to find out in a few moments. So today's the day you say, you know what, Jesus, I want you to come into my life. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my Savior. I want you to wash my sins away, and I want you to make me brand new. If that's you and that's your prayer right where you are, I want you to raise your hand high right now. Raise it high. Make a decision to surrender your life to Jesus. This is between you and God. Just keep your hand up. I just want to just look at you. God bless you. So many hands going up. I know hands going up at the other campuses. What I want us to do, Seacoast, at every location, online, in this room, we're going to pray this prayer together, every one of us out loud as a church family, celebrating with those who are making the decision to surrender their life to Jesus. I want every single person to repeat this prayer after me saying, Heavenly Father, come on, you can do better than that. Everybody repeat this prayer after me saying, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus, who died on the cross for my sins. Today I choose to make Jesus my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Change me and make me brand new. In Jesus' name I pray. Come on, Seacoast Church, let's give it up for lives that have been changed forever. We serve an amazing God. Don't take this for granted. You guys are amazing. Come on now. And next week, make sure you bring your friends. Get them through these doors so God can do what he does. And that's changed lives. You guys are awesome. God bless you guys.